Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, once again, we have a great show lined up for today. Um, you know, we're going to start off talking about the eight financial fallacies. The myths. They're kind of like myths. They're kind of <laughs> like, but they're fallacies. You yeah, know? that's so right. So they're, uh, yeah, a little bit different, but, um, you know, it's these sayings that you hear all the time, you know, um, like a bird in the palms worth two in the bush, mm-hmm. you know, all these mm-hmm. financial sayings that- They sound pithy. They sound pithy, but they can lead you to some bad conclusions and bad behavior. So we're going to talk about those and- and uh, reveal the truth about those kind of sayings. There you go. And we're going to follow that up with a uh, pretty interesting uh, topic about how much money does the average American need to be happy? I mean, it's uh, I've never seen it really put this way, but there's 14 things that um, that are highlighted in here, and we're going to kind of take a look at these, and most of them are, are pretty accurate, but um, you know, we'll kind of discuss that a little bit. But 14 items, they're saying, hey, you need to have some of this going on to, to feel happy and feel like you're making progress in life. Wow. I know it doesn't take 14 yeah. items for me to be happy. No. I'm a pretty simple guy. It but, takes uh, 18 holes. That's right. right. That's right. One, one item, 18 <laughs> holes. Uh, interesting. Yeah, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. Yeah, we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Um, our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon right off our website. That's right. Go to the website. It's moneymd.net. We have the podcast up there. We also have some videos that we've shot here in the office as well on various topics that you can take a look at. We have a pretty cool calculator um, that you can go through and do a really quick uh, retirement plan, see if you're on track for that. And Facebook, uh, we put um, videos out there every week of our prescription of the week on Facebook. So if you're not following us, go check those out. We try to make them pretty lively. You and I are a little bit more straightforward on those, but uh, we have some other people helping us out with those as well, and they're fun to watch. Yeah, they're very, very good. But we're all over the web, so just look for us out there. And you a lot of information out there off our website, as John mentioned. Um, you can also email us directly. We'd love to hear from you and love to hear your questions. You can email us at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we got the big football Saturday coming up. We do. Tomorrow, it's Tomorrow. going to be a big day. It is going to be a huge day. Um, obviously, Clemson plays Carolina. That's and, right. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of holding our breath, you know. I mean, you guys are rated, are ranked now. I mean, we are, but you're still a 14-point favorite, so, you know, you got to win that. I mean, know, that's... We lost to Syracuse. Anything can happen, yeah. but, yeah, I agree we should win that, and so we're we're holding our breath. We don't want any repeats of back five years ago when we were losing. Yeah, we need to start a new streak. Yeah, <laughs> we, we want to – you're right. We want to continue the streak wrong, yeah, and go. that is kicking your butt every year. And Georgia, Georgia Tech's playing. That's always a big robbery, and then Alabama game. Auburn. So that's um, the big one. Fun time of year, you know. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Hope you hope you had a great day yesterday. And Absolutely. So uh, excited about the show today too, though. We are, we are, we have a great show today. But you know, we're going to start off with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, and this is interesting, Steve. This goes back um, right before the election, and a lot of conversation about who who's going to win and what happens if people win. Well, there's a famous professor out there from the University of Pennsylvania. His name is Jeremy Siegel, and he said he wouldn't be surprised to see a thousand point drop on the Dow if uh, if Donald Trump won. And 
Boy, he was a little bit wrong. Yeah, that was almost a year ago now, a little over a year ago, and uh, ouch, it was more like a 5,000-point gain. Yeah, 6,000-point swing. So, you know, he's a smart guy, right? Obviously, he knows a lot about finance. and Wrote the random walk down Wall Street. That's right. He's probably done very well financially, but uh, missed on that one just a little bit. Just a little high. That's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show how unpredictable the stock market and the economy is. You cannot time it. So you need to just diversify. You need to plan to to ride out whatever ups and downs that, that come your way with through the market and be at the right risk level because it is totally unpredictable. Even yeah. the smart guys can't do it. And don't make decisions based on these headlines. I mean, we've shown, we've seen studies that these experts, so-called experts, are right only 47% of the time. They don't even, you could flip a coin and do better than them. Exactly. So don't exactly. make decisions based on these headlines. Take those predictions with a grain of salt. So great financial fact of the week. All right, and that leads up to our, our first topic here, and that is the eight financial fallacies. Yeah, this is based on an article out of bankrate.com. Uh, Alex Sandler, Sadler, I believe, here wrote this recently. And, you know, I mean, John, unless you live... Well, like under a tree, you know, you probably heard one of these phrases, and that is money doesn't grow on trees. I've heard that from my parents. You've heard that. A long time ago. That's right. Lots of financial phrases out there, you know, that we all kind of hang our hat on. Um, And while the phrase, you know, is meant to inspire savings, that money doesn't grow on trees, financial experts say expressions like this can actually be counterproductive, and they can lead you to the wrong behavior by, you know, not being entrepreneurial or they're not taking the appropriate amount of risk in that example. You know, so many people are working hard to make the right decisions about their finances. And while they believe they're on the right track, that's often not the case. And it's due to these misconceptions about these common money myths that are they're led to believe out there. In fact, these trite sayings can often lead someone to believe they're more financially savvy than they really are. And that kind of overconfidence can end up placing their financial future at risk. Yeah, I mean, this reality is that, you know, people just don't really know what they don't know. And that's often the most important kind of knowledge is understanding your limitations, understanding what you don't know. Yeah, so making decisions based on fallacies can be very dangerous to your wallet and your future. So in order to form the right attitude about your finances, Um, and become more confident in the power of your own wealth, it's important to first understand the truth behind some of these common financial fables. So the first one here is your money is safe in the bank. Yeah, I mean, we hear that. And and certainly um, it it depends on how you look at it. You know, technically, yeah, it's safer than being in a shoebox under your bed. Um, It's safer than investing in stocks because we know the stock market has some volatility. However, there's some other risk um, to your long-term financial health um, you know, more than financial failure, market risk, inflation. And we, we've talked about that before, but there's a risk of inflation. It's constantly devaluing your money in the bank accounts, and it's not keeping up with that erosion. So when you put it in just in cash, you, you're going you're gonna to lose. It's guaranteed to lose the, the, the spending power under in today's market. And That's right. it certainly doesn't mean you shouldn't have uh, a savings account, emergency fund. You definitely want to have, you know, three to six months of that um, sitting in cash. That's there to provide you liquidity. But anything extra than that, you need to look at some different solutions um, because your your inflation is devaluing that those assets. That's right. Yeah. And if you are contributing to your 401k at work, that's a great place to start. You know, the money comes out of your paycheck into your retirement savings before you can see it or spend it which is more important. 
And plus, your employer often offers a match for that kind of money, and that's free money toward your retirement. You can't pass up that free money. Yeah, investing is the best way to grow your money um, so that you can keep up with inflation and so that you likely, you know, will have enough money down the road when you do get to retirement. So, um, so don't stick your money in a bank long term. You know, that's for your emergency savings. That's not for your investments. So that was the first one here. Next one here is a penny saved is a penny earned. We've all heard that saying mm-hmm. before. Yeah, I mean, the truth is budgeting and savings can only get you so far, particularly if we're talking about pennies. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's often it takes a bigger plan than just savings to get you to your goals. So but let's first take a step back here. You know, when you're just starting to get a handle on your finances, budgeting and savings are very crucial. Yeah, This is how you train yourself to spend less on the things you, you really don't need. And you can start to develop consistent, healthy financial habits. Plus, as you save more money, you begin to understand the true power of financial freedom. You know, you get that sense of security that only financial stability can provide. But then once you develop those consistent financial habits, it's it's time to start looking at a bigger plan for maybe earning more money. Because eventually, you know, there comes a point where you just can't cut your expenses anymore. And sometimes it takes more than that to reach your financial goals. So then the solution is not just to cut back on the lattes you drink, but also to get a better paying job maybe and to maybe have a plan for advancing your income. You might also need to sell something to pay down some debt. Um, So you need a comprehensive plan for getting ahead, not just for saving a few dollars here and there. Yeah, Excuse me. That's a a good one, Steve. The next one here on the list is, um, you know, carrying a credit card debt, excuse me, will improve your credit score. And that's not always true. I mean, cash, um, while cash isn't always king, neither is credit card debt. Um, you know, using credit cards that you pay off, you know, in full every single month can certainly help build your credit history and improve your credit score. But carrying this debt month to month is not good. And it, it really is is risky and it can lead to a credit death spiral. So, you know, credit bureaus don't want to see a high debt to income ratio, meaning that, you know, you're carrying high balances on your credit cards. So if you do have a credit card, you want to have the balance at zero every single month. Um, you know, you, you probably don't want to go over the credit limit either. The 30% number kind of sticks out. So if you have a $1,000 limit, um, you probably don't want to put more than 300 on there at a time. But if you do have credit cards, make sure you pay them off. Don't carry that balance. That, that's a death spiral. That's exactly right. And when determining your credit worthiness, credit bureaus and lenders, they don't they don't like to see maxed out cards or debt. So that carry over from month to month. You know, they're looking for, as a general, if you're looking for a general rule of thumb, only use your credit cards for small purchases that you can pay off at the end of each month. Yeah, that's the, like, that's a good general rule of like thumb. Like gas and things. Exactly. Smaller <laughs> purchases, not big things that you can't pay off. Next one here on the list, John, is invest only in what you know. We've heard that saying before, you know, and that's one big mistake that many people make when investing too much of their money in something they're very familiar with, like their company stock. Um, That's very common. Workers often invest their 401k in their employer stock, and that's a terrible idea. We've talked about that many times. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, and when you make that move, that's essentially what you're doing. You're kind of relying on your employer to to who makes your paycheck Mm -hmm. to also build your retirement wealth. And so you're doubling up on the risk from your employer. 
So that's a terrible thing to do. Similarly, people often think it's a good idea to invest all their money in the industry they work in. You know, maybe they really understand the, you know, the industry that they're in, especially if their industry's booming and things are great. Um, you know the industry inside and out. So you think what could possibly go wrong? Well, the fact is there's a lot that could go wrong. You know, and these clients, they end up with a portfolio that has much greater risk than being in a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds from a variety of different sectors and countries and asset classes around the world. So if you invest everything in one sector, you aren't giving your money the benefit from the natural rotation that comes from different industries and sectors over time. So if you're invested in several different industries, um, your investments will have a much better chance to benefit from the ups and downs and survive any of the bear markets that come your way. So don't put all your money in just what you know. You need to have a well-diversified portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one, Steve. And the fifth one here on the list is if you run out of money in retirement, um, a lot of people think you can just go get a, uh, another job. And, you know, that, Steve, that's not always the case. Unfortunately, it, it sounds easy and a, and a good strategy um, but it's often often difficult for a retiree to go back and get um, work that pays anything close to what they were making when they retired. Now, they can certainly get um, some seasonal jobs or retail jobs, um, but you know that, that hourly pay that you were making in that full-time job, you got to be very, very careful that you're not walking away too early. And also, we see health issues arise that makes it difficult to work you know, eight hours a day. So you know, it's much, it's a much safer bet to, to save more now and just, um, you know, versus assuming that you're gonna be able to work in retirement because that always doesn't play out. Exactly. You can't count on that. Yeah. Many retirees plan to work part-time in retirement. And if you know that's the case ahead of time, then you're better off to set that up ahead of time so that you know before you actually retire that you'll have that part-time job that you're looking for or consulting or whatever it is you're planning on doing. And if you just assume that since you've had a job most of your life, you'll be able to pick up another one in the future, you might face a harsh reality when the time comes, you know, when your finances won't be able to handle it. So don't just bank on the idea that you'll be able to pick up work again if the money runs out in retirement. That's not a good plan. Next one here, though, is all adults need life insurance. Now, you know, that's an interesting Concept. I mean, life insurance is a way to guarantee that the people that depend on you will be provided for, you know, when you're no longer around. Um, but for people who have no spouse, no children, or no business dependent on them, life insurance is often unnecessary. And at the same time, if you're retired, then you probably don't need a lot of life insurance. You know, once you're retired and you have a stable income coming in um, that's not dependent on you working. So reevaluate life insurance from time to time and make sure you have adequate but not unnecessary coverage for life insurance. Yeah. So um, the, the next one here on the list, Steve, is Social Security. We hear a lot of people saying, hey, I'm going to take it at 62. I'm not sure if it's going to be around a long term. So a burden the palm, um, you know, is worth uh, a a bird in the palm is worth two in the bush, right? It's not. It's not always the case. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Particularly when you're talking about Social Security, if you can wait a couple of years, every year you wait, it increases by about 75 to 8%. So if you can wait till age 67 to draw that, you know, another couple of years, your benefits can be upwards of 30% more. That's a significant increase. 
And if you have enough different income coming in from pensions and you have investments and so forth, and you can wait to age 70, that's another 32% increase associated with it. So, you know, taking it at 62, for some people, they, they have to, they need the income. But if you can wait a couple of years, it really increases and gives you some longevity, um, you know, insurance. It helps your insurance, your, your income keep up with inflation down the road. So yes. It gives you that pay raise down the road that you'll need to compensate for inflation. So that's a good one. Yeah, the last one here on the list is it's too late to save for retirement. You know, I mean, we kind of get that sense from people that are in their mid-50s and, you know, they're looking at retirement at 65 and they think, oh, gee, it's just way too late here. And, of course, it's a lot easier to build up savings throughout your working years instead of waiting until you're in the home stretch. But, unfortunately, financial setbacks and other things in life do get in the way. Kids with college and, you know, expenses that come up for maybe caring for elderly parents. Um, but if that's the case, you know, it doesn't mean that you're out of luck. If you're only five or 10 years from retirement, it will be certainly be harder to save enough to make a dent in your future income, but everything helps. We've created plenty of plans that were based on five or 10 years of savings. Such plans usually include cutting back on expenses immediately in retirement and in retirement, but the money saved over five or 10 years can make a significant difference in your retirement income. I mean, for example, if you can save $200,000 in the home stretch, you know, that might translate into $1,000 a month of income amortized out of the remaining part of your life. So, you know, that can make a huge difference. So for most people, um, there's still time to make a big difference in your standard of living in retirement. Don't give up if you're in the home stretch. Use those last five years or 10 years to your advantage, get serious about retirement and plan ahead because it's never too late to make a difference in your retirement picture. So the key is to get plan to get a plan together, get serious about it and implement it now. Don't delay, but it's never too late. All right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, we're getting this question uh, pretty frequently about uh, bubble is that you know, the markets have done very, very well lately. And um, question is, is the stock market in a bubble? And um, I was just going back and doing, did some research. I typed that into Google and I did 2016. And uh, in, in June of 2016, there was an article out of CNN that said, uh-oh, is the stock market in a bubble again? Um, well, since that time, the market's made over 20%. So Yeah, that was a um, long time ago. It was. The answer to that question was no. Um, recently, there was another article that came out that said, um, this came from CNBC, suddenly uh, bullish Goldman sees a big 2008 for stocks. And my point is, is 2018, next year, excuse me, 2018. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 2008 was not a big year big for difference. stocks. <laughs> yeah. 2018. So my point is, is we see these headlines every day. We, we read them, we understand them. No one knows what the market's going to do. Um, we don't know if we're in a bubble. Uh, we look at PE ratios and you can kind of get some sense and it looks like the U S market is certainly fairly valued, maybe a little bit higher than normal, but we certainly don't see anything like a, a tech, um, situation, but you never know. And so the better approach to all this is be diversified, have a plan. Um, reading these headlines and getting emotional about it is not the right answer. That's exactly right. I mean, we saw all kind of articles like this. I mean, long time ago, <clears throat> back in the late nineties, when people said, you know, in 96 and 97, I remember a lot of people saying, you know, the market's high, the market's overpriced, it's in a bubble. And it was pretty highly priced, kind of similar to the way it was now, but it had three more great years before mm -hmm. we saw the downturn in 2000. So you never know, you know, when that next downturn is going to go, going to be. And, and there's no way to time it. 
You know, if you pull it out now, waiting on it, you can miss 20, 30% upturn in the market before it pulls back 10%. You cost yourself money in that event. Yeah, one of the good strategies is to do rebalancing. If you have, you know, stocks, do some rebalancing. Sell some of them and maybe put them in bonds to kind of get back into a better allocation. So um, we don't, you know, the bubble question, we get we do get a lot. The better answer is be diversified, have a plan, and make sure you're in the right risk profile. Exactly, for your long-term future, not just for the That's next, right. next year. Bingo. So. Good question. All right. And that leads up to our next topic here. And that is how much money does the average American need to be happy? It's an interesting question. It really is. This is out of CheatSheet.com. And, um, you know, a well-rounded person defines happiness as being able to experience and afford things, you know, vacations, housing, education, healthcare, and so forth. There are actually 14 items, Steve, on here. We're going to kind of dive into this, and I'm going to do something a little a little different. I'm going to go to number 14 first. Okay. Because right. I think it's important. I think it's important. Giving to charity. Um, you know, giving back does a heart good, um, is what researchers say. And, and uh, you know, when we make enough money, extra money to give to those in need, it promotes, um, you know, an impactful connection to society. The average American gives about $3,000 to charity. Um, so, you know, it depends on where you are in your, your situation in life, but I think, you know, being happy and helping others, maybe it's not with money, maybe it's with your time, you know, different ways of looking at it, but, uh, they put that as number 14. I moved it up to number one. So out of order a little bit per this article, but I do think it's one of the most important things that as you're looking at your situation, you know, helping other people that are in need, uh, as well. So the second one here on the list is a, is a nice home. All right. So that's one of the things that makes people happy. Um, what we, we do see a disconnect here though, a little bit. So we recommend about 25% of your take home pay being allocated to your, to your mortgage. So if you make $4,000 on a 15 year mortgage, that would be a thousand dollars that you could spend towards your, towards your mortgage. Um, that would put you in about a $200,000, um, mortgage situation. If you made $75,000, we see a much higher loan size. We see about a $300,000 mortgage versus a two hundred. So we see people stretching on this um, to, to try to increase their happiness. It's probably not bringing happiness to them. Exactly. If you have more mortgage than what you can afford. So you got to be careful. That 25% of take-home pay is a, is a good number. Yeah, definitely is. Another one here is a dependable used car. Yeah, I mean, everybody needs a good used car, no doubt. Um, question is, do you need a new car and do you need a, a big car loan to go with your new car no. or your, or your relatively new used car? That would be um, a new. <laughs> answer is no. So, you know, you got to keep this in check. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, if you have a, a, you must, you must have a vehicle parked in that long paved driveway, right? Um, you know, some think that, you know, it needs to be a Maserati or a Porsche to make you happier, but that's not really the case. You know, buying fancy new cars and other depreciating assets, is very unwise financially, and it's unlikely that a car or boats will ever increase in value. In fact, as they age, they dramatically lose value. We all know that. So, yes, I mean, Americans are willing to shout $30,000 on average for a new car loan, making the average monthly payment around $500. However, if we buy a used car, you know, the average payment then dips down to $376, so substantially less for about a $20,000 car loan. I like to recommend that people look at maybe a $10,000 car Mm -hmm. for a used car, you know, I mean, particularly for your second car, you know, maybe you have one that's more dependable, but, you know, I sat down with a couple last night and they were, they were pretty swamped with car loans. So, 
you know, that's a very common problem. You need to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, and you know, Steve, if you if you do what you're saying, you can you can go over to the next one, which is real important. That's a solid retirement. Um, you know, another key to prolonged happiness is making sure our futures are secured. Um, the average Social Security benefit today is about thirteen hundred dollars for people, and if you haven't saved. It's going to be really difficult to live on that. Um, the average American has about ninety six thousand in a four hundred one k. So, going back to your point, if you can, you know, not have those car loans and pay yourself, put it in Roth IRAs, put it in your four hundred one k, you can have a solid retirement. And that is one of the keys to happiness. So make sure you have that um, prioritized. Another one here on the list um, is three meals a day. Um, that's kind of a, a simple one, but um, you know some people don't eat in the United States and around the world, so making sure you have food certainly falls up on the, the list pretty high as well. Another one, Steve, is um, doctor visits, health care. Um, you know, the price of a doctor visit will certainly vary by state and uh, insurance status and so forth. Um, but you know for minor checkups, the average is about68 dollars. If you have complex medical problems, you have to go to a specialist, it's about $200. So, you know, people having access to affordable health care is a happiness factor. Well, definitely, definitely. Another one here is caring for your loved ones. I mean, everybody wants to care for the people who depend on you. And being able to afford these additional fees, you know, can make or break your emotional stability. Certainly, you want to be able to care for your loved ones. You know, and this could include, you know, child care or nursing home expenses for your aging parents down the line, you know, possibly both. Um, however, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to have Medicare covering your parents' costs for now, um, that's a big windfall. Um, but when Medicare runs dry, you know, expect a, a prov- semi-private room in a nursing home to run you about $6,800 a month currently. And an assisted living facility costs about $3,600 a month. So there's a huge expenses that you really have to plan for for you and for your parents. And at the very least, children require regular nourishment and clothing, right? So working parents face another substantial, um, you know, annual bill, you know, brought on by their children. National average cost for a week at child care for one child totals about $850 a month. Mm. According to care.com survey, 54% of families said they spent more than 10% of their household income on child care. So you have to plan for that in your budget and in your overall financial plan. That's a big one. Yeah, another one here on the list, Steve, kind of surprising. I guess not surprising, but uh, sending their kids to college. Um, and so parents feel like they want to give their, their kids a better life, and I understand that. But when you start getting into debt, um, it's it's not it's it, it's not helping them coming out with debt. I mean, having thirty to forty thousand to fifty uh, is going to give them um, some challenges, and it'll create stress in their life. So um, people do want to send their kids to college, but you got to do that smartly as well. Um, another one here on the list is making sure we pay off debt. You know, it's prioritizing putting uh, budgets in place, but paying off debt brings happiness to people as well. And having an emergency fund, you know, brings happiness too because it avoids the financial stress that comes from living paycheck to paycheck and and having your, uh, you know, the unexpected expenses sink you. So establishing a personal savings account is a necessity, but most people fall way short of that, and they have nothing at all uh, stashed away for emergencies. Average personal savings rate in the U.S. is about 5.5%, and that includes emergencies plus retirement funds. So... It's better than it used to be, but that's still very small. So if retirement is uh, too far off for you to consider, you know, think about at least padding your emergency fund to reduce the possible emotional stress that comes with that. 
because that's a big one. You know, it's best to have about three months worth of expenses at least set aside for emergencies, such as for car repairs, injuries, or for, you know, replacing your AC unit. And that can really set you back if you're underprepared for that. So that means that, you know, if you spend about $5,000 a month, you need to have fifteen to $30,000 saved up in an emergency fund for those kinds of things. It's a big number, but it's very, very important to your happiness. Yeah, I'm going to combine the next three here based on, on time, but these are certainly down the list, but it does bring people happy to have weekend get, getaways. Sure. Um, maybe with your spouse or significant other. Vacations um, are very, very important. Absolutely. It's high on the Marbert list. Um, also having weekly dates with friends and family fall on this list. And also free time for yourself, right? You got to have some time for the old Steve O or the old John here, right? That's you gotta, right. Some me time. It's a me time. So those three kind of fall together, and obviously health and wellness from from that standpoint kind of kind of fall into that. Yeah, as well. gym membership, you know, health and wellness. You know, um, may not you may not have to have a gym membership, but you got to get some exercise. You know, those endorphins they really do help yeah. your well being and your happiness a lot. You know how you can encompass everything into this? Do a plan. Exactly. If you sit down and do a budget and do a plan for 2018, you can make a lot of these things happen from homes to, to trips to paying off debt, emergency funds, but you can't do it without a plan. That's it's exactly not right. Happen. That's exactly right. So have a financial plan to build this happiness, all these things that kind of build into your happiness, into your life. Your finances are intricately involved in your, your overall happiness. So great list of things there. And that leads us up to our last item, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this Christmas season, make sure you have a list. Um, if you don't, you're going to blow your budget. I mean, some examples of wasting money is extended warranties. Um, these companies have extended warranties. Can they make a huge profit on it? So you got to think through some of these items. Um, gift wrapping service, you know, don't, don't do some of that stuff. Um, overnight shipping, plan ahead. Don't, don't order it on December the 22nd. So make sure you have a list and, and, um, you know, stuff doesn't make you happy. It's, um, the thought that counts. I know you've talked about doing some, some birdhouses and things in the past. So just have a list for folks, do some planning, make sure it's in your budget. Um, Sarah is going to do our prescription of the week this on, week on Facebook. So, so on Facebook, that's right. So she is, uh, she's a, she's going to be a nerdy elf is her character this should week. be so funny tune in to money good. indeed she's really good Facebook. that's right absolutely but that's good yeah definitely don't go shopping without a list for christmas you have to have a list those are expensive items if you have a list you'll spend a lot more money be a lot more targeted a lot more well thought out so have a list for christmas that's a good one okay that brings us to a close for this week's edition of money md tune in next week on money md to hear more prescriptions for your financial health do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or give us a call, Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Go Gamecocks. Go Tigers. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart Investor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 